welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 151st edition of the Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 561st episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, December 19th, 2019. I am your host, Brian Tonsoni, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Last Friday saw the Indiana Hoosiers grind out an overtime win against Nebraska at home. This week's banner moment occurred in the postgame interview room when Coach Archie Miller was asked about fouling up three late in the game. The response given was an honest evaluation of his decision-making. He could have made excuses, passed the blame to others, but instead he was critical of the way he handled the situation. In today's uber-aggressive media world, it would have been understandable for a coach to deflect and try to find an easy way out. Not Coach Miller. He said, paraphrase, quote, I was afraid I'd lost the game for us, end quote. While it, is, while it is widely understood my appreciation for Coach Miller and for coaches in general, I seriously enjoy the honest and straightforward approach that Coach Miller brings to the program. His defense has been shredded in Big Ten play, according to Coach Miller. He's talked about injuries by using, quote, next man up. However, talking the talk is great, but Coach Miller needs to make sure that he and his staff make the right decisions going forward and ensure that the players improve in several areas for this Indiana team to reach its potential. There are many ways to approach coaching and to be successful as a coach. I'm not a rah-rah guy when it comes to coaches. I appreciate those coaches that are tough and straight to the point. I appreciate coaches that accept responsibility. And most of all, I appreciate coaches that win and win the right way. Coach Miller is in his third year and is on the path to success. However, he needs to make sure he finishes the journey by getting this team to play consistently and get Indiana back into the NCAA tournament sooner rather than later. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-hosts for this week's show. Jared and Ryan are both off tonight, uh, but they will be with you on a Saturday for the IU Notre Dame postgame show. Uh, you may see Jared's... Uh, uh, started the show here because of some technical difficulties that I had, uh, and so we'll be without some of the drops that you guys like. Uh, but to my left, he is Larry Kristoyak of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and he's a world-renowned bracketologist who re in recent seasons has been reduced to calling Delphi Bracketology his bracket daddy. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your bottoms line on the last week in IU basketball? Well, it was a good week to step back. It feels like the way things were, you know, coming with all the games there, that it was, you know, either assembly call radio or post game shows, uh, you know, every couple of days. And so it's been kind of nice to be able to take a step back. And uh, Jared has, has mentioned that uh, a bit on Banner Monday, I believe, and, and just kind of talking through taking stock of where this team is at right about a, a third of the way through the season with 11 games in and 20 games remaining. And, while some of the ways they've they've achieved the record that they have, uh, whether it be the way they lost to Wisconsin, the way they won against Nebraska, have been uh, frustrating at times, and and perhaps rightfully so. Uh, you also want to be able to take a step back and enjoy what has been a successful start to the season from a record perspective. And if you set out at the beginning of the season thinking that success for this this team would be getting to the NCAA tournament to this point, they've set themselves up well to do that. And the big 10 has set them up well to do that. Uh, if you look uh, today, they're 31st in the net. Uh, if you look back to the, the team sheets that the NCAA published on Wednesday, uh, which did not get updated on Thursday for reasons I do not know um, you, you look and of the 20 games left, you've got 13 of them fall into quad one. Uh, based on how well the Big Ten has performed, four more fall into quad two. And so that means there's only three that could even be potentially considered as bad losses. And, and some of those could even move uh, into the uh, into the quad two area. So one of them is actually the Notre Dame game uh, on Saturday, as currently Notre Dame is ranked outside the top 100. I would assume uh, that at some point over the course of the season, they get their way into the top 100, and that may become a, a quad two opportunity there. So if you really look at it from that perspective, they've set themselves up well. The opportunities to uh, stub their toe are pretty limited uh, at this point. And, and yes, there are question marks going into the, the heart of the Big Ten season. 
in the same way there have been a ton of questions in the offseason. But I think a number of those questions have been answered in the affirmative. And, and like I said, they've positioned themselves well to be able to achieve uh, what I think most fans would have set out as a reasonable goal to start the season. So that uh, is a positive in my eyes. If they can find a way to beat Notre Dame uh, on Sunday or on Saturday, rather, they've got another week uh, to, to take a little time off, get ready for Arkansas uh, and the potential for an undefeated non-conference season is still out there, which I think everybody would have been uh, over the moon about to start the season, despite some of the complaints about the schedule and all those things, to be able to uh, be in a position to go 4-0 uh, in those four toughest games, I think is a, is a good thing for this team. And uh, so now it's just a matter of seeing what they've been able to get out of this uh, downtime or uh, more practice-related time with games not coming fast and furious and get our first glimpse at that on Saturday. And to my right, he is the godfather of IU Sports Podcasting, the head of the IU Sports Media Department, and runs the go-to Twitter feed for people who want to get brisket smoking and homemade ice cream tips with their IU and sports media commentary. He is the doctor, Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. Galen, what are your general thoughts on how this season has begun for the basketball Hoosiers? I'll also say I've added intermittent fasting information to the Twitter feed, so we got that going for us now. Uh you know what? I spent the last week having a little bit of a crisis of conscience about this IU basketball program because everybody else seemed to be as well. And I've decided after thinking about it long and hard for a couple of days, I'm just going to relax and not worry about it because of two things. First of all, as we saw today with Maryland losing, as we've seen with several other teams losing, uh, there's no perfect teams at this time of year. You know, there was a tweet, I think it was a couple of days ago from Myron Medcalf that said something along the lines of, you know, look at the teams that were in the elite eight last year. None of the teams that are in the top 10 would like come close to those teams. And many people pointed out rightly that, well, I mean, which versions of last year's teams are you talking about? Because last year's Purdue team that was in the elite eight was like six and four at this point in the season. Uh, Several other teams that really not gotten their sea legs under them. It's still very early. And, there's a lot more of the season left to go. And I, for one, don't think we've got any actual clue of what the final product of this IU basketball team is going to be as of yet. The second thing is this. I know we want this IU basketball program to be among the elite and be competing at a tremendously high level. But I just like to remind everybody, and I had to remind myself of this as well. Look at the roster that Archie Miller is currently playing with. And you have a total, a total, of five players who are either juniors or seniors. One of those players has played a grand total of 11 games under Archie Miller. Two of those players are not have not played 50% of available minutes as of yet this season. This is a tremendously young team. It's a team that is still coming together. It's the team that's still trying to find some cohesion. It's still trying to find roles. And I think we get used to the names as having been around for a while, but we're still just scratching the surface with what this particular group of IU players can do. And I think Archie Miller's actually done a pretty good job with the raw materials that he's got. Uh, This is a team that's got a lot of raw talent. It's not a lot of refined talent yet. It's not a lot of older talent. It's not a lot of maturity. It's a a team that's going to have a lot of learning experiences and rough goes of it early on here. And, And I think that might extend into the early part of the Big Ten season. But that's my theme right now. Relax. Take it easy and just enjoy what I think will be a pretty fun process of watching a team come together. I've been preaching to myself patience as well as the people who might listen to me to have a little bit of patience and see where this thing goes. Uh, Okay, here's what we're going to talk about this week uh, in Hoosier Headlines. The big news is Fred Glass is stepping down from athletic director. We'll talk about that. Uh, We'll also talk about what needs to happen over the next few weeks to get Indiana ready for the upcoming gauntlet of Big Ten play. And then we'll answer your questions. All that coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. First, let's talk about tickets. You have a lot of options when it comes to where you get your sports tickets. And this is not an industry that is known for its growth and innovation or for being customer friendly. But with millions of live event tickets and price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves that there is a better way. They built the fastest way to find tickets so that you can stop searching for the perfect seat and instead start enjoying it. Just look at the App Store. SeatGeek has over 50,000 five-star reviews, and the reason is because they deliver a better process for buying tickets. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web 
and they rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10 with a color-coded system to show the value. Green dots mean good deals, red dots are overpriced. Then SeatGeek displays the tickets on an interactive seat map so you can see right where they are located. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone because it's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. I've been recently looking at possibly going to see uh, IU versus Arkansas on the 29th, and I'm using the SeatGeek app. And best of all, SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase, and all you need to do is use our promo, promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off on your first purchase. Okay, uh, let's talk a, a little bit here about uh, the major announcement of the week, and that's uh, Fred Glass announcing his re retirement. Um, Galen, we'll come to you first. Um, what is the impact on the basketball program specifically uh, of this announcement? I don't know there's a huge impact specifically on the basketball program for this, and I say that from this perspective. When you look at what Fred Glass has done across the athletic department, it's really build foundation and structure. And I think that what you want out of a basketball program athletic director relationship to some degree is the athletic director to make the right hire and then get out of that coach's way, give him the resources that he needs in order to be successful. And I think what we have to look at right now is, do you believe that Archie Miller is the right guy for IU basketball? And if so, then I think Fred Glass, even in his retirement here, has left IU basketball in really good shape because the facility is better uh, in several ways than it was when it was first built. The practice facility is going through a renovation now. They just upgraded the locker rooms. They just upgraded the assembly hall seating bowl and some of the areas inside there. They've added luxury suites, which is an additional revenue stream. So all of those items are in place, and Archie Miller is, I think, handsomely compensated for what he does. We've seen the recruiting budget, uh, as you know, the, the articles about the Tom Crean era, where it was, from a travel perspective, I think the largest recruiting budget in the country or something like that. All of those things are in place. And I think as far as Fred Glass's retirement and IU athletics in general, it just really depends on whether you think he made the right hire in Archie Miller. I think he did. I think that, as I've mentioned on Crimson Cast several times, this is a, uh, you know, the, the athletic department needed a foundation laid for it. The uh, basketball program needs a foundation laid for itself as well. And that's not going to be an easy or fast process, despite what many of us had hoped. So I'm not overly concerned about basketball. I know a lot of people want to just look at the, the record results and, and try to extrapolate based entirely on that. I think what you're seeing is a building process right now. And I think Fred Glass has done a really good job of establishing that. Who they hire in the aftermath, I, I really don't see basketball taking a back seat. It might take a, a co-pilot seat with football if football uh, is permanently up off the ground and, and able to generate revenue and be a, a you know a good program in the conference. But basketball is always going to be the top dog here, and I think you see that at most of the other schools that are on IU's same level, like in North Carolina or Kentucky or what have you. Andy, what what, what do you think? Um glass will be remembered um from a basketball perspective or or his lasting impact on, on on the basketball program well i think as galen mentioned i i think the biggest thing with glass whether it's basketball or otherwise is is a lot of the facilities work i think that's one of the first things that comes to everybody's mind uh as you look through those different things and then um secondarily uh the, the basketball piece is gonna garner a, a kind of overly weighted portion of everybody's opinion about him. Uh, and I think it is important to look at what's been done with the other programs. Uh, basketball, certainly the highest profile of them, uh, but so many other sports uh, while he's been there have really enjoyed some, some really great success. And I think it, it does still hinge even after he'll, he'll be retired as, as Galen mentioned on uh, what ends up happening with Archie. I don't think, I don't think if you looked at this season, it was an important one for Archie regardless. And I don't think this changes that uh, not necessarily to, you know, win a big 10 or anything like that, but I think to continue to show progress and, and building toward what he wants this program to be. Uh, I think there are certainly things that we've seen over the first part of the season that suggest that's going 
uh, in the direction that he wants it to. Uh, a few blips here and there, but if you take a step back at the, the bigger picture, uh, I think there are reasons to feel good about how this team has played. And uh, depending upon whose expectations you're measuring them against, I think they've exceeded um, some some people's expectations to this point. So that's a positive. So in that regard, I think it still becomes uh, in, an important year for Archie, but not necessarily any more important than it already was uh, to begin with. And uh, I think right or wrong, um, the view on, on glass from a basketball perspective will uh, be continue to be written even after he's not there uh, as things go with, uh, you know, with Archie a lot of conversation has been had about the extension with Crean. I thought Galen, you guys had a good discussion on that uh, on Crimson Cast. So I don't know that it's necessary to rehash that here. Um, I think there are different perspectives of that. That certainly now you could look and say, "Hey, this was." You looked at how the the Korean era ended up playing out. Um, it's easy to nitpick that now. I think in the moment, um, perhaps less so. And so it, it really it all hinges on Archie for me. So I, I don't think he's done anything to harm the basketball program. He's certainly never uh, shied away from its importance to the overall opinion of the school's athletic program, the overall importance to the school uh, in general. Uh, he's, he's embraced that part of it and um, found a guy that he really liked. And Archie went after him uh, strong. And now uh, time will tell and uh, how that really works out. But that's really going to be his you know, kind of lasting impression on the basketball program, uh, despite some of the facilities things, I think it's all going to tie back to the coach at the end of the day. You know, I, I think, uh, Fred glass has done a nice job overall. I, I try to look at, he had a philosophy and, and the, the 24 sports, uh, one team and, and building the facilities and he, you know, his hires have been pretty good for the most part across the athletic department, uh, from getting coaches in that have elevated the, the programs, uh, and I'm sure there are some some decisions that he's made that we all can go back and say, well, I wish he would have done this or done this and, and, and been critical of, of his decisions. But, like, I look at the football program. It needed a change, and, and Kevin Wilson ended up not being the guy, but he, Kevin Wilson came in and made a change in the football and brought a little toughness, which allowed Coach Allen to take over and put his spin on it. And I think he noticed uh, – that the rebuild that Tom Crean did was really nice, but that there was another level that Indiana basketball should be. And I really appreciate the fact that there there is something behind some of those decisions. And we all make decisions, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But but besides the fireworks and the big flagpole and some of that stuff that, that for me is, is, is kind of silly stuff, but I think Fred Glass has done a nice job. And most importantly, he stabilized the whole athletic department after – that decade of, of a lot of craziness um, there in the early 2000s and and all of the changes that were made inside coaches uh, of the program. So I think overall, uh, after uh, a while, he'll be looked at as, as doing a really nice job uh, moving Indiana athletics forward, and then it's incumbent on uh, the university finding uh, a very good replacement to keep that going. Uh, Real quick, is is there some thought that Archie was Fred Glass's guy and a new athletic director is going to come in and not have um, as much uh, patience with Archie? Is that something that should be thought of? Or do, do athletic directors, how soon do they want to put, quote, their guy in if, if that's an issue? Or, or is that a non-factor, Andy, in your opinion? I, I, I don't know. I think it depends probably a little bit on the guy that you bring in. Um and that's where I kind of go back to the season was an important one for Archie to begin with. It continues to be uh, in that regard. I, I do think it depends a lot on that. You've got a whole lot of uh, implications of of making that move. And I don't know that the first thing that you want to do is you come in as they find somebody who's, you know, who knows what the, the ramp up period is for that. But Glass is there through the academic year. So you're really not bringing somebody in at a, at a point where, um, you're typically making those kinds of coaching moves anyway, uh, assuming that person doesn't really begin that role uh, until the time that glass steps aside. So I think from a timing perspective, you, you, I, it would seem to be unlikely unless things really went off the rails this year that that would be a move that anybody would be really considering uh, making. So I think you've you've got a little bit of time. Um, as you mentioned, glass came in with a, a pretty clear philosophy of, uh, what he wanted to do, any new athletic director or new 
management person in any role like that is going to come in with the philosophy of what they want to do. Um, but I, I don't know that any kind of change like that is imminent. Um, changing the basketball coach at IU is a huge uh, decision, and I'm not sure um, by the same token that the you know an athletic director, are you going to want to come in? Is that the first major decision that you want to make? Um, and, and then you're on the hook for whoever you hire and bring in and kind of pull that scrutiny in uh, early on. So that would be my take. I don't know if, Galen, you have different thoughts on it. I mean, I'd like to remind everybody that Tom Crean was not Fred Glass's guy. He was hired by Rick Greenspan, and, and he ended up being the coach for almost a decade under uh, Fred Glass. So I, I get the question. I think it really depends on circumstance. And look, I think regardless of the situation, by the time an athletic director, a new athletic director at IU would be ready to think about that, we'd already be at kind of a breaking point probably with the Archie Miller era because you're talking about probably post-fourth post or post-fifth season. And I think at that stage, there's going to be a pretty clear idea of whether this is, is working long-term or not. And at that point, if it is working long-term, you've really got nothing to worry about. And if it isn't working long-term, then it makes the decision-making process a whole lot simpler. Okay, coming up, we're going to talk about this year's Hoosiers and how the teams can use the next few weeks uh, with only a couple games on the schedule to get prepared for what is certain to be an 18-game slugfest once Big Ten starts. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all the in-between segment banter, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash assemblycall. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Andy Bottoms and special guest, Galen Clavio. And we're going to start talking now about uh, the current state of the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, Indiana is 10-1. and one, uh, ranked number 34 in Ken Palm. Uh, I think I saw 31, as Andy mentioned early, in the uh, net rankings, which is the important uh, sorting tool of the NCA uh, committee. But uh, last season, gentlemen, uh, Indiana uh, was 10-2 and two and ranked 24th in, in Ken Palm and then went on to lose uh, quite a few games, 12 out of, the next, uh, of their next 19 games to finish at 17-14 and 14 and miss the tournament. Uh, is this season uh, any different? Uh, Galen, we'll start with you. Uh, what What's different, and and how do you feel at, at this point compared to last year? I feel, I mean, I felt pretty good at this point last year, <laughs> and obviously that tail spun pretty quickly once you got into January. I feel like this season is going to be a bit different. Is it going to be radically different? I mean, if you think about it, the if you take the the losing streak out of it, Last year's team finished 8-12 and 12 in regular season conference play. I would expect that this team's going to finish 10-10, and 10, maybe 11-9. and nine. You're only talking about a two-game improvement on last year, and I think it's important to keep it in that kind of a context. But I feel like this team can score more consistently. They seem to be able to find offense uh, more often and, and at key times. I think they're going to struggle on the road, but I think a lot of teams are going to struggle on the road. Uh, I think so much of it is going to hinge upon can Rob Finnessy stay healthy? Can Justin Smith stay engaged? Can Al Durham stay consistent? And can Demise Anderson make regular contributions off the bench? Like those four things to me, as I've watched so far this season, I mean, and certainly there's other pieces that are very important, but those four pieces in particular to me, I feel like are the big X factors on a night-in, night-out basis. So I, you know, when I look at this overall, I think there's going to be nights when we look at this team and are just like, wow, I, I don't know if they're capable of like, you know, negotiating the tunnel back to the bus after this. And there's going to be some nights where we're like, wow, they could win the national championship. Uh, and I think obviously the truth's going to be very much in the middle of that. But I think that I, I, to me, the, the biggest, most crucial stretch is actually these next two games. Because if, if IU can win these next two games, then they'll have uh, two neutral site wins over top 75 teams, uh, and they'll have a, a home win against a, a Power 5 opponent, 
two Power 5 opponents, actually, because they'll also have the Florida State win. They will have demonstrated they can win games against teams that are at least in the conversation for postseason berths. And then I think if you can just hold serve, uh, relatively speaking, versus home and away in conference, that puts them in really good shape at the end of the season to get to that 20-win mark and get into the tournament. Yeah, I, I think uh, the the key for me is we all look at how Indiana plays, and in, in the last few games they haven't played uh, very pretty basketball. By and that's putting it it nice, but they are grinding out wins. Uh, and and last year's team lost a lot of close games. They had some injuries. It seemed like they they weren't um, able to get over the hump when when certain aspects of the game. Uh, we're not going their way. So maybe, uh, despite the struggles uh, at Connecticut and Wisconsin and, and and Nebraska, maybe that's a sign that Indiana can win not playing their best, and, and let's hope that those kind of uh, games are limited. But I do think there's a there's a silver lining in, in some of those uh, games that, that we've seen so far. Andy, 10-1 uh, in, in the middle of the of the pack in, in, in a lot of the metrics. How are you feeling about the Indiana Hoosiers as, as they end the – the 2019 portion of the season. It, it's one of those where I think you'd feel differently about it. If you just, if you just said, if you fast forwarded through the season, and you didn't watch any of the games and you looked at the end result and said, here's where they are. I, I think in a vacuum, you'd feel great about everything to be, have only one loss in a place that you haven't won in forever. And, and and have you know a couple solid wins that will be helpful for you come tournament time already. I think that in and of itself would make people feel pretty good. Uh, I think the the way that they've played over these last couple games, as you mentioned, and and the wounds of last year are leading people to be more likely to keep this team at arm's length as opposed to really embracing it at this point. Uh, I think some people have have embraced it, and I think they're despite not being uh, a great watch defensively against against Nebraska, uh, I, I do think there are aspects of this team that I really enjoy watching and, and enjoy watching more so than uh, than I did last year's team. So uh, I may or may not be in the in the minority uh, on that, but I, I think when you compare it to last year, so yes, the similarities are you've gotten off to a good start, got a few things that you feel like you can potentially hang your hat on. Um, and I think what you like and feel like is a little bit different is this team can probably win games in ways that last year's team could not. I think the balance and and being able to recount different times uh, that people have been able to to step up uh, has been important. And and the ability to navigate injuries this year, while the injuries haven't been, uh, I guess, as severe as it felt like they were a year ago. This team has played a lot of time without Rob Finnessy. We've seen the difference that he made. They've found ways to win games without him. They found ways to uh, win games when Devante was was sidelined for a bit. So I, I think I think those are positive things to take away. As Galen said, I do think they're going to struggle away from home because I just don't know that they're going to shoot the ball well enough uh, to really take a crowd out of a game. Um, and so I think they're not going to be able to to really silence crowds and get out to a big enough lead where maybe the the road fact the factors that make road games so difficult will be mitigated. Um, but I do think they are going to be able to grind things out well enough that they'll make close games and uh, kind of see how they can execute down the stretch. But they've shown some ability to do that thus far. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but understand why people are a little bit gun shy uh, after the way that last year's uh, that things went last year. You know, I'm trying to focus on the fantasy aspect that. Indiana has not really played with the complete roster uh, that they thought they would start the season with as far as how many minutes each player would get. Uh, there's been some benefit to that. Players have had to step up and get some extra minutes, and you, you, you grow in practice, but you really grow in games as well. So the extra time that Franklin and some of uh, Demise have gotten because of the injuries have helped Indiana's depth, but I'm not sure we have really seen the entire Indiana basketball program uh, as it was designed to be, and th that's a plus, especially sitting at 10-1. and 1. And it's it's always hard to predict the future when you look at the schedules and what road games, but I think these next two weeks as Galen's, or two games, as Galen said, are, are really, really important, and I think the schedule has helped this team as well overcome those injuries, and I think it's been kind of laughed at uh, by 
some people outside of uh, the Indiana uh, basketball family, I guess, about they didn't play anybody, and, and now they're – but I, I think that really was beneficial this year for the type of team Indiana had. Galen? No, I was about to echo that. Look, this is not a normal IU team, and I'll go back to what I said at the top of the show, where there's just there's not the upperclassman leadership on this team, either in terms of uh, of playing time or in terms of just being able to bring the team together and, and get everybody to play. This team had to have some soft speed bumps at the early going, as opposed to a slalom course, in order to come together and learn how to play. And you know, if you're going to be relying on a freshman and another freshman and a sophomore and another sophomore to play consistent minutes and to provide you with both offense and defense in the way that this IU team is. Uh, I mean, I think it was actually brilliantly scheduled by Archie. People can get mad because IU lost in their first road test. I, I mean, I think you could have played two road games before that Wisconsin game and still gotten blown out. It's, it's, it, I don't think there's no correlation there that you can really prove. And, and I'm going to, throw this to Andy too about the schedule with the there's so much time now in between games that gives a team a chance to get on the practice floor uh, I know you're only allowed 20 hours but when you're traveling like last week uh, a game at Wisconsin and then a travel to New York and then home uh, you don't get consistent practice and that's leading up into the gauntlet of the Big Ten is where you have seven days in between games eight days in between games and it really gives a chance to heal, but it also gives a chance to hopefully uh, fix stuff like defensive stance and close out that were struggles uh, against Northwestern. Andy, I, I think that's an unwritten part of the schedule that we're not having a Jacksonville State thrown in the middle of this where you have to play uh, in, in December and two days later start the Big Ten season. Yeah, I mean, you really have, you've got the Notre Dame game, which you've had over a week to get ready for, or, or I guess the better part of a week to get ready for. Then after that, I'm sure he'll give him some time off. Uh, around the holidays, but you've got eight days before you play again against Arkansas. And then even then you've got the better part of a week before you play again the following Saturday. So I think if that time is used wisely and, and in a way that allows some of the guys to get a little bit healthier uh, and gives the team a chance to work on some things without getting too rusty and not playing in game action, uh, I think that kind of a stretch can really be invaluable. You catch your breath a little bit uh, in some of these games and get ready. And 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 some of that you you talked about the you know some of the guys being available and not really seeing what the rotation looks like. I mean, look no further than the fact that Devontae and Rob have combined to start two games uh, over the course of the season, and neither guy has played more than uh, I guess Devontae is at just over forty three percent of available minutes. I mean, those are two guys that any lineup that anybody had coming into the season, those were the names that you wrote down in pen, and, and you haven't had them and. Um, and like I said, other guys have stepped up. Hasn't always been the same guy. Trace has been really consistent. Justin, for the most part, has been um, more consistent. But um, you've seen even within games, guys not be consistent, but but be able to step up when they really needed to make plays. So, you know, hopefully, if you can use this time to really get healthy, uh, get some groups practicing together, playing together that you want to have on the floor uh, during that time period, I think it can be really valuable. Our first look at that uh, obviously comes... Uh, on Saturday against Notre Dame and see what, what things have looked like if it's a bit more cohesive. Uh, but I think with a team like this, it's still learning learning each other. That, As Galen said, doesn't have a ton of uh, upperclassmen on it. Uh, it has a number of guys that are still really integrating either into the program in general or into far greater roles than what they've experienced before. Um, that kind of practice time and being able to drill some of these things can really be important. So currently Indiana finds its... Um self-ranked in the 30s in Ken Palm and in the 30s in in the net. And we've all dabbled with some bracketology. Uh, Andy's the guru, obviously. But um, looking at Ken Palm and, and looking at the net rankings where Indiana is, do, do we feel comfortable that that's an accurate reflection of, of, of this team so far, given the fact that we've already talked about lineups and, and injuries and that? Uh, is is this a good place, or is this uh, a little too low for for Indiana, where they're at with this uh, season? Galen, what do you think about uh, these these ratings? They seem about accurate. I mean, I think that IU's beaten a couple of of decent to good teams, and they have beaten a bunch of teams that aren't that good. They haven't really lost a game that I would classify as an embarrassing loss. So yeah, I I think both in terms of what they've accomplished so far and 
frankly, in terms of where this team kind of wants to be by the end of the year, and certainly where I think the more optimistic projections of the team were, the idea that they would be somewhere in the mid-30s in the national uh, power rankings is right about where you'd want to be, because that's going to get you into the 8, 9, 10 seed range. And I think if IU was going to make the tournament this year, that's where they were going to be. Yeah, when I look at it, I mean, Ken Palm, I, I believe if I'm looking at this right, they were 34th at the beginning of the year. So you've largely treaded water uh, over the course of this part of the season. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. They've fluctuated a little bit. I think they got as high as uh, around 20th after that Florida State game. So they've regressed a little bit from that perspective. Um, but that one's a little bit harder to gauge because there's last season's information baked into it for a little while. So it's it's not... Uh, uh, you know, to say they've completely treaded water there. But yeah, I, I think if you look at any of those rankings and, and for the most part, look at the teams around them, particularly on Ken Palm, you could craft an argument that maybe they could be a couple spots higher or a couple spots lower. But I guess I go back to what I said at the beginning. You, you've, you haven't stubbed your toe and you haven't put yourself behind the eight ball as to where the Notre Dame and Arkansas games are must wins. If you lose those first couple big non-conference games, these games take on while they're important and would bolster the case that IU has so far, they're not in the must-win category, and you haven't really set yourself up to be in a in a difficult spot. Now, we might look back on, on that in a month and say, all right, well, now you've put yourself in a difficult spot and you've got some work to do. But uh, I think at this point, they've done kind of what they needed to do, and, and the, the rankings to me feel feel pretty good that I'd, ha- I'd be hard-pressed to, to say they need to be ranked significantly higher or significantly lower than, than either of the ones that's out there. And... and- I feel pretty good about where Indiana is respective to uh, teams like Xavier and Kentucky who find themselves really uh, low in the net, and, and that, that'll work its way out. It's still way too early for a lot of those rankings as the data comes in through a, a full season. But what's interesting about Indiana being in the mid-30s, especially with the net, is that their strength of schedule is going to get nothing but a lot better playing in the Big Ten. And the the formula that is out there is going to benefit Indiana by playing quality competition, even in those games that they happen to lose. And so it's nice, I think, to be a foundation of in that 30s, and unless something really bad happens, uh, most teams that are in the top 40 in the net find their way into major discussion uh, for a bid in the NCAA tournament. And that's obviously where we want Indiana to be. We want Indiana to be uh, seated as high as possible. But at this point, given what we know about the, the injuries and the youth of this team, but it goes back to the schedule as well. Uh, I, I think the schedule really helped them in these kinds of, of ratings. And sometimes uh, you could schedule too tough or you don't schedule tough enough. I, I know the Xavier coach has stayed up four hours after the first net trying to figure out why they were down at 71, and they have to really overcome some things here and, and boost that to get in the tournament. So um, go ahead, Galen. I also wanted to jump in on this. Uh, so a friend of mine, Joby Fortson, does the, the nitty-gritty rankings, which have been really accurate in terms of projecting who's going to get into the NCAA tournament. i just like to note, right now Indiana's 23rd in that power ranking, and that as a predictive measure, is really, really good news. Now, obviously, IU has to hold serve on this, but I think anybody that was worried about the schedule being something that was going to hinder Indiana getting into the tournament, I think they've overcome that hurdle at this point, and they look like they're in pretty good shape as long as they don't fall apart like they did last year. And, and Andy, too, um, the Big Ten helps itself again with a pretty good non-conference uh, to where the teams, yes, they'll beat up on each other and they'll they'll gather some losses, but these this is going to be quality game after quality game. It's going to help Indiana as as well as other teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, kind of like I said at the beginning, at 13 of the 20 remaining games, so 65% of the games left would be quad one opportunities. Uh, and that's been one of, the, one of the criticisms of that system, but in this case, it could play into the favor uh, of a team like IU where, you know, major conference teams continue to get rewarded because of, they have X amount of quad one victories and inherently they have more of those opportunities in most cases. But um, the, you know, the, the IU fan and the big 10 fan in me says that's a, a, only a positive for this team. And like I said, four of them uh, are in quad two. So 85% of your remaining games have a chance to help you and losing those games, unless you lose a disproportionate number of them 
really doesn't doesn't kill you in those metrics. So if you're able to take care of business in the few remaining games that are most winnable, I guess you could say, which is really based on how you looked at it there, the the Notre Dame game, Northwestern at home, and at Nebraska are the only three that fall outside of quad one and quad two, at least when I looked at it uh, earlier this evening. So you really have tons of chances to help yourself, not many chances to hurt yourself. And uh, again, as long as you don't go into a, a real tailspin, then you give yourself a chance to really amass a good volume of quality victories. And that's what makes the Crossroad Classics uh, really important, I think, for Indiana because Notre Dame's rankings aren't high, and and you kind of want to get that win and then go take care of business at Arkansas and go into the Big Ten. That would be a really nice place for Indiana to be uh, with with their um, their rankings uh, as as the tournament uh, gets uh, selected. Coming up in our third segment, we'll answer your questions, including one about how important it is. Uh, to recognize that Archie is still a young coach and what particular problems Notre Dame will present for Indiana on Saturday, plus other questions. So stick with us here on Assembly Call. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Andy Bottoms and special guest, Galen Clavio. Remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason. And after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. So just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's now time for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which is can be found assemblycall.com backslash community. So our first question was submitted by Patrick. On this week's radio interview, Archie mentioned how he's been coaching big-time college ball for eight years. Do you think that, that there is enough time spent recognizing how young of a coach Archie is and evaluating what he can get better at as a young coach? Uh, Andy? Uh, you know, it is interesting to think of it that way. And I think part of that, uh, probably a lot of reasons that, that maybe that is unnoticed or, or undermentioned or, or whatever is one, I think just from a family perspective, you, you tend to lump him in with Sean, who's been uh, around a bit longer. And the fact that Archie has, has spent time at multiple major conference programs, even as an assistant. So he's certainly been around. He hasn't been the head guy in that scenario, but he has been around. He worked a little bit at NC State, worked uh, obviously at Arizona uh, with his brother, worked at Ohio State. So I think there's a little bit of, of that that maybe in people's minds it all gets lumped together. Uh, but but certainly being the, the front man at a program as big as I use for only that period of time after uh, only one prior head coaching job it is probably worth noticing. Uh, the flip side of that is I don't know that people care uh, from an IU perspective, so um, it, that that's fine to to point out. But uh, I think people have expectations that have little or nothing to do with what the prior experience is. So uh, while that's probably notable and, and undermentioned, uh, I don't know that anybody's uh, given him any slack because of it either. Galen, you still consider Archie a young coach, and does he get any slack for that? He's still a young coach. I don't know if you get slack for it because you're still doing the job. But look, I think you're a lot of the developmental curve of being a coach does come with not just coaching, but coaching at a relatively high level. I think a lot about Thad Mata, who's one of Archie's mentors. When when I think of Archie, and you know, they're relatively at the same age levels at the same points of their their advance. But you know, if you think about Dayton as equivalent to Butler. Uh, you know, Thad Mata got to coach at Xavier for a couple of years before going on to Ohio State. And I think that intermediate step is really important in terms of being able to develop as a major level head coach. So, look, I mean, I, I we, we have a tendency sometimes, I think, to uh, only remember the best parts or worst parts of coaches and not remember all of the levels that get to that point. I, it's like I saw something the other day. Like Dana Altman's like a couple 20-win seasons from becoming a 700-win coach with two Final Four appearances. And that's not a guy you think of as like a top-level coach, but that's like a top-20 historical resume in coaching. And 
you know, he's in his late 50s, I think. Archie's got a long way to go in his career. I think he's going to be doing this well for a long time. And I'm willing to, you know, wait and watch him mature. And I think that that's certainly going to happen. Our next question comes from J.D. He says, beyond the numbers, what specific problems could Notre Dame pose for IU? He offers up their streaky shooting uh, and their pick-and-pop game. Galen, uh, what about Notre Dame problems uh, posing for the Hoosiers? They're a really interesting team from the standpoint that they shoot a lot of threes. Now, they're not tremendously better at shooting the three than Indiana is in terms of percentages, but you know, whereas for Indiana, the three is is not an overwhelming part of their offense. For Notre Dame, it's almost 40% of their offense. Uh, it comes from their three-point shooting. They also don't turn the ball over. I mean, they are third in the country right now in offensive turnover rate. Uh, they and, and generally speaking, they don't commit their own mistakes. They're actually tops in the country in turnovers that aren't steals. So that could be a bit of an issue. Uh, you know, one thing that you do notice about them is that their opponents generally don't uh, get that many free throw attempts as opposed to field goals, which is something that is a major part of IU's offense. But we saw that earlier on, but it's it's hard to say for sure how that's going to go. Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not as concerned about this game because Notre Dame's defense isn't that awesome and they haven't really played that well in any game this year. Uh, outside of the UCLA game, and UCLA is not very good either. Andy, your thoughts, Notre Dame. What what problems do they pose for the Hoosiers? Well, if you if you if you want to ignore the last couple of years, you would really point to Mike Bray's track record offensively and and his his ability to scheme guys uh, into a position where they can get open shots in a similar way to what Fred Hoiberg did uh, against Nebraska. They really will be able to spread you out, as Galen mentioned. They haven't shot the three particularly well, but they have five guys on the, if, if as you look at their kind of core five to six guys, all those guys have taken at least 35 threes over the course of the season. So we can argue with the shooting percentages, but that's a part of what they want to do. And they're, they're doing that to create spacing and, and spread you out, which is what IU really struggled with uh, against Nebraska. So to me, that's what you'd point to. Now, the, the flip side of that is they really regressed quite a bit uh, last year a decent amount of that due to injury from an offensive efficiency standpoint. And this year has, uh, from a ranking perspective is better, but from an actual uh, numbers perspective is not. Um, and, and there's not really a signature win that you'd point to and say, Hey, they played really well in this game. As Galen mentioned, they needed overtime to beat Toledo at home. Who is a decent team? One of the better ones in the Mac. And otherwise their best win is that UCLA game at home, uh, where it, it where you know, UCLA is just really struggling right now. So, uh, I think the three-point shooting is what you probably have to worry about, just getting spread out offensively. But um, th those are really the biggest things from that perspective. But I do think um, some of the things that IU does well uh, in terms of rebounding match up uh, fairly well with, with some of the areas Notre Dame is not as proficient. We'll uh, end the show with a quick rapid fire here. Um, greatest positive aspect of Indiana's play so far, um, Galen. Ability to find ways to win. A Andy. Uh, I think being able to get to the free throw line because it's been able to, the better shooting there has helped to mitigate some of the continued offensive struggles, and that's been a, a pretty much a constant uh, in just about every game. And, and Galen, an area that Indiana needs to improve in order to go to the NCAA tournament. Not getting the wind knocked out of them when things don't go their way. I think that that was the big thing in the Wisconsin game, and really even in the Nebraska game, they just didn't handle the punches very well. Andy? For me, it's it's on-ball defense. Uh, that's really been keeping, keeping guys out of the lane has been a struggle, was a big-time struggle against Nebraska. I think if that gets better, the rest of the defense behind it can, can come together well enough, and, uh, and they'll be all right. Well, that'll do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing most of the music you usually hear on the show. Uh, and thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again next Thursday night and postgame uh Saturday at the Crossroads Classic. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers.
thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. And that'll do it. We'll keep recording this because he likes to post stuff. And I'll go back to the questions here. Thank you guys uh, for uh, being here tonight. Yeah, thank you. No Good job as always. Appreciate it. Thought I had this thing all, all down, and then my computer updated and threw me into a loop. <laughs> Man, so I got to figure fails. some of that out. Um, any any thoughts on the noon start uh, Ryan version? I don't, I don't have a problem with. It. I like it when I'm coaching because our shoot arounds are at three thirty. Uh, so I get to I get to see the game uh, a lot of the noon starts on Saturday. So from a selfish standpoint, I, I like I like the noon games. Uh, yeah, I don't. I always give Ryan a hard time about uh, about saying stuff about it. So uh, it, I think it's probably overblown. It's it's an easy thing to point to from a crowd perspective. I, I think at times when um, you know students or things like that, where it might be a little bit more late arriving in that scenario. But from a player perspective, I I don't know that it's a uh, I don't know that it's a huge thing. Kind of like you, from a fan's yeah. perspective, I don't mind getting it out of the way, and then you've got the the rest of the day to either watch other games or or do whatever. Hopefully wanna, not. Uh, hopefully not dwell on a poor performance. I, I want to give a shout out to uh, the rapid fire question came from I believe Will Scott was had the question about the noon start. Um, Josiah has a good question here. Is it possible that the longer three point line impacts the effectiveness of the pack line? I'm certainly not blaming our bad defense on it, and Virginia seems to be fine with their pack line, but I'm just wondering if that could be one of the many contributing factors. Your guys' thoughts, and then I'll I'll chime in here. I, I just go back to the 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 on ball pressure at the point of attack and keeping people out of the lane. I I don't think that has anything to do. That part of it to me doesn't have anything to do with where the three point line is, and I think that's the biggest area that IU is really struggling. Um, yeah, it gives you a little bit more spacing if guys are staying behind the three point line because it it does that. But I don't know that that in and of itself uh, it is really having a big impact. I think you know even in the question he made the point of. Uh, Virginia not really being impacted by it. And I think a lot of that has to do with Kihei Clark being able to really, there's a lot of things that he's not great at from a basketball perspective, but harassing all handler is one of the things that he's really good at. Uh, and I think that helps make, hold everything together uh, for them. Galen, any thoughts about the three point line? I, I, it may have an issue with the pack line as a, conceptual thing i don't think it has an issue with this team's defense of the of the three-point line through the pack i just think this team isn't good on defense yet because they're still <laughs> getting used to being where they're supposed to be a lot of young players or players that aren't particularly mentally mentally engaged with defense and you know when you're when your leaders are i mean who's the who's the the great defender in the junior or senior classes here for iu there, there really isn't one in my opinion so i think that's a much bigger issue um yeah, I, I agree with both of you guys. I would say Justin Smith is doing a nice job defensively. Um, not a, necessarily a great job, but I but I think he and Rob together need to play a lot of minutes, and that makes your defense better. And it, a lot of this goes back to not having Finnessy to be on that point guard who's normally the best penetrating guard on the other team. Uh, the fact that the three-point line, uh, the pack line defense is trying to limit penetration and limit uh, shots in the lane and is going to give up threes naturally. So a deeper three-point line in theory, while it does cause a longer closeout to distract the shooter, that, that's a lower percentage shot. The more you move the line back, the lower the percentage should be, should help. Uh, Andy is spot on with the with, with the on-ball defense. Uh, the ball screen defense and the on-ball defense is just giving up too many penetrating drives to where the defense has to overcommit. Uh, and then I think that sometimes, uh, you know, like getting beat back door against Nebraska, when you're in a pack line, you're not denying. You're allowing passes to go to the wing, and then you're closing out. I don't, I don't know why um, there were several back doors played other than lack of uh, execution on, on some players' uh, part. So, um, you know, that, 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 that is concerning to me, especially in, in year three, but it goes back to what Galen said. There is – this team still is young – and it sounds like we're making excuses, but there are reasons in basketball. Never an excuse to play bad basketball or bad defense. But there are reasons why it might take uh, a, a little bit longer. Um, Patrick yeah. says, go ahead. I was just saying, it is year three, but you just don't have that many players who have been around for all three years. And you know, you're relying on a lot of minutes from guys that have been around one or two. And in the case of 
you know, Demise Anderson has barely played last year. Jerome Hunter didn't play last year. Uh, it's it, it's Race Thompson yeah. barely played last year. Yeah, yeah. Race Thompson barely played last year. I mean, that's right there. That's a third of the players that you can play in any given game. That's that's a problem when it comes to expecting like the fact. Honestly, the fact that they're still in the top sixty in defense right now is kind of a miracle. Yep, and, and I, I know um, at times Demise and Jerome have struggled, but I, I think they've made progress defensively enough to get get some some playing time that they might not get if they were really bad defensively. Um, I've been tough on Demise quite a bit with his defense, and and the backdoor uh, clip that I showed in the community uh, was a negative, but I think he's playing better. I think Jerome's playing better. And I think when those guys get more minutes, those are two offensive guys. That will help our outside shooting and our scoring to relieve some of the, the pressure on the post that Nebraska started sagging back in, and we're going to need that as teams start scouting Indiana as well. Um, and, and Patrick, we'll, we'll have this be the last question here. Patrick, during a time like this week and next week, there are six-plus days between games. We kind of talked about that. How do players prioritize their basketball time outside of team-based practices, individual practice like shooting on their own, resting, recovering for a long Big Ten grind, or unofficial team sessions like what happens during the summer? Anyone want to take that? I was going to say, it's hard to, hard to know how they'll handle it. I think it's, I think some of that is, is no different than what you'd probably see in any kind of downtime where there's likely some players on any given team that are a lot more likely to, to use it to get up extra shots and, and put in extra time. I know we hear a lot about Al uh, as being a guy from that perspective. Uh, and some others may really take the time to try to, uh, you know, try to rest and, and really, um, take advantage of of downtime that is going to soon be gone uh, and how that goes. So I don't really have any inside information, but I would guess it it's going to vary quite a bit across uh, across the the guys on the roster. One, one thing in the question, Patrick, I think um, I would, as a coach, really um, kind of discourage the unofficial team sessions. Um, I think rest, mental and physical rest, is important. I, I do think they need to come in on their own and shoot free throws and get shots up and stay connected outside of um, the normal practice time. But coaches, even at this point in time, uh, we start cutting back practices as well. Get in, get done what needs to be done, and then get people um, off their feet, uh, especially as the Big Ten grind comes and the history of injury. So I, I think of the three things you, you put, I would say a shooting on their own can always you always got to work on your game, work on your handles. I wish they'd close out to a, you know, the wall or something and have proper closeouts defensively, but guys don't usually go in and work on their defense. But I, I don't think you'll see a lot of open gym uh, situations um, during, during these layoffs. Um, anybody have anything else you'd like to share uh, before we, we sign off? We did the oval question that was uh, Oh, submitted. yeah, yeah. Okay. Quote-unquote anonymously. Yeah, this we're not sure who um, who actually sent this in, but it showed up in our uh, call sheet or our sheet for uh, the show from Calbert Mallory. Uh, so the chat mob can figure out who Calbert Mallory is. Ask this: Can each of you please provide your thoughts on the recent revival of the quote "Evil Oval" uh, end quote logo by Homefield Apparel? <laughs> On that note, what was the worst thing to happen to IU football between 1997 and 2001? This logo or Indiana going 5-6 and six in the 2001 season with one game wasted having Antoine Randall L., the best quarterback in school history, playing wide receiver so that Tommy Jones can start at QB? What would be an appropriate punishment for Connor at home field and the team at home field for bringing this mark of Satan back into our oh lives? God. Calbert Mallory, thank you for the question. What say you guys? All right, I'm just going to launch in on this because I've 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 been sitting quietly on Twitter watching all this like flow around. I mean, it's not the logo's fault that Cam Cameron was the coach. All right, it's just <laughs> it's just not. Stop blaming the logo. I actually, people forget IU won two soccer national titles with that logo, and it wasn't like it had to be an entire athletic department thing. Like this idea that you have to have every every aspect of the athletic department always be in lockstep on everything. I mean, yes, there were too many variations of logos during the time period, but we can still look back on it, make peace with our past, enjoy it, put it on a t-shirt 
you, Brian, you and I are wearing bison hoodies. Like, no one's freaking out about that. And there wasn't anything, like, tr- tremendously noteworthy about the bison logo. Nothing abnormal happened during that football era from any other of the football eras that have been equally terrible with traditional <laughs> logos. They made a damn T-shirt with the 1983 logo on it where the coach left after a year and the team went 3-8. and eight. Like, what's the deal here? Just chill out, everybody. <laughs> hey, Andy, do we have do we have a company line? Do we have to tow the company line, or, or are we free? Have freedom of expression written into uh, our contracts? I mean, it's unclear. We do have. I mean, we do have sponsorship deals with them, so I don't really. I, I mean, I don't have an issue with. I mean, that was the era when um, when I was in school there, and and I certainly remember having any number of T-shirts from uh, that the Stephen Berries of that uh, oh, yeah. of that generation that had that logo on it for sure. Um, that, that I had bought. So yeah, I mean, the football, I think to Galen's point was really no worse. And then getting coming out of that area, you hired Jerry DiNardo. So it did it really, did the removal of that logo make things go in a different direction? No, it certainly did not. So I think it was, uh, yeah, the, the, it had little to nothing to do with the, the poor performance that was there. Um, and yeah, I would definitely say the, the great, far greater travesty was the uh, short-lived Let's play Antoine Randall at wide receiver for the better part of. I think it only ended up being like a half, wasn't it? In that NC State game when it was well, like, no, because I think he came back. He did. Tommy Jones started the Utah game as well. Yeah, and, and Antoine had to come in. They didn't lose necessarily because of that they lost because the kicker that they had, I think, missed two extra points and and two field goals in that game. That's and so that that I mean, everybody looks at the North Carolina State game. Again, IU didn't make a bowl that year because they lost to Utah at home. That was that was the bigger issue. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was. I, I'm not a big fan of the whole wave that the the black uniforms and everything. When I was coaching, we we our colors were blue and white, and we ended up with black uniforms, and that was a big fad at the time. So, um, but I, I can't get mad it's at home. Game. It's I, yeah, one game. I can't get mad at home field, man. This is the most comfortable stuff I've ever worn in my entire life. I mean, you know, and then Connor takes care of me. They they only have two XL on the order form, but he always finds me some three XL in the same stuff. And I mean, if they want to print out the logo, I say, you know, go for it. Sorry, Calbert Mallory. Um, you know, if if that's not not company approved comment. <laughs> uh, to answer Gail or to uh, follow up on Galen's point, Adam Brocker was the kicker. He missed one extra point and one field goal. Uh, over the course of the game that they lost by, uh, but then they had to they had to attempt, two. they had to attempt a two point conversion, which they also failed on, if I'm not mistaken, towards yes. the end of the game. That I, that I do not see in this in this uh, in what I found here on uh, Sports Reference, but nevertheless, not lots of lots of dark territory to to come through if you really want to get into. Okay, this. so so just an unprepared follow up question: If you could talk to Connor, if he were listening, which he should, because you know, we're, we're big fans of home field. What logo would you like to see or what shirt design IU specific would you encourage Connor to consider? We got the watch shot. We got the uh, Xander shirt. Is there anything that you guys would like to see? Block pitchfork. I mean, to me, that's classic IU. Mm-hmm. Like when I was, when I was growing up, I remember, I can I can still remember you know Dad tuning in Channel Four or actually Channel Twenty Nine because that there was a repeater station for Channel Four in Kokomo that was easier for us to get and they they pop up the the logos on the that little Raycom broadcast and they would have the block pitchfork and that was to me that was Indiana University athletics that's what got you excited about things Andy yeah if it was I like that one if it was going to be any if it was going to be a player related scenario, I mean, for me, like if I'm, I'm thinking football, cause most of the designs have really revolved around that, like some Anthony Thompson level, uh, shirt would be, would be cool to have, but, uh, I found yeah, I mean, from a, here, check this out. I found this, this was in a box. Oh, I totally, I had that, or there was one for 81 that I may have had. I definitely had one of, I had definitely had a shirt like that for sure. This has got like stats on the sleeve. It's the weirdest shirt. I think, I think my mom <laughs> bought it at like LS airs when I was like eight. 
I, I mean, it was completely out of, but it's got like all of this. So it's very weird. It's an interesting yeah. shirt. Yeah. Yeah. My dad worked for JC Penney's as a buyer when they were doing some of that stuff. And I think he brought one home at some point that, uh, yeah, I forget what year it was. And they made some similar ones for other schools. I feel like I had a 49ers one at some point that was kind of the same uh, historical logo there. Yeah, this okay. is some, com- some company called Long Gone. <laughs> mm. Go figure. And it probably is, yes. <laughs> the, the name is es- escaping me of the, the host of the Bob Knight show. Chuck uh, Marlowe? Chuck, Marlo. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Marlowe. I want a shirt with... <laughs> <laughs> that's there you nice. go, guys. I believe uh, that, I also had one of those. That somewhere. is from the taping. I from the, the actual filming day. I was there in Frankfurt for that. Nice. So. nice. My my logo for Connor and Homefield is Chuck Marlowe, Bob Knight, and the Purdue ass donkey. Oh my god! From the show, <laughs> I want that on a nice, comfortable Homefield apparel sweatshirt or shirt, and I, and I could wear that to Lafayette Mall when I'm doing my shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and just announce my presence with authority with the the Purdue ass on a shirt. I like that. So get on it, Connor. <laughs> All awesome. right, and that right, is cool. that's the ending of the show. What I better? Guess. Yeah, what better way to end than that? <laughs> All right, thank you, everyone. Very Thanks, cool. Jared, for getting us started here with the technical difficulties. Thanks for joining us. Have a, a great holiday, uh, Chat Mob and, and Galen and Andy. Enjoy your families and, and whatnot. Um, I appreciate all of you. Um, it's good to be a Hoosier. Yep, same to you guys. Appreciate Thanks, everybody Brad. coming out. Enjoy your uh, enjoy the time off, and yeah. uh, hopefully, hopefully a couple of IU victories in the meantime. Uh, all right, everybody. Take it easy, guys. Thanks. Good night. Right, we'll see you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.